Aloha. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. You can go to live in France, but you cannot become a Frenchman. You can go to live in Germany or Turkey or Japan, but you cannot become a German, a Turk, or Japanese. But anyone from any corner of the earth can come to live in America and become an American. Welcome back to A Nation of Immigrants, a talk show program featuring the lives of immigrants, knowledge, diversity, and inclusion, created by Think Tank Hawaii and the Kingsfield Law Office. We invite renowned immigrants and descendants of immigrants to discuss their life stories, their family history, immigration adventures, and their contributions to cultural diversity. Today's guest is our very good friend, Susan Cohen. Welcome, Susan. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much, Chang. It's so good to be here with all of you. Thank you. This show is so honored to have you, the best immigration attorney in the United States. And we are honored to have you sort of back to the show because you were our guest uh, on the middle way, the predecessor of a nation of immigrants in 2021. Yes, and uh, we have the great honor to discuss your book, fantastic book on the immigration history and the stories of immigration trials, triumphs, and their contributions, journeys from there to here. So we are very honored to have you back on the show. And this time we are not talking about your clients and uh, we're not talking about their contributions. Instead, we are talking to talk about your contributions to the immigration law and the cultural diversity. If you don't mind, we have a, a very short bio I would like to share with our audience with, uh, about you. Susan is a leading immigration New York, uh, a lawyer in the United States the recipient of dozens of awards by prominent organizations and the chair of founding chair of Mint Levin's immigration practice. In 2017, Susan helped to lead a Mint team that worked with American Civil Liberty Union, ACLU of Massachusetts, and others to obtain, obtain a temporary restraining order, TRO, on the Trump travel ban. Through her pro bono work, she has helped many immigrants obtain asylum and green cards. In her newly published book, Journeys from There to Here, Stories of Immigrant Triumphs, Trials, Triumphs, and Contributions, Susan speaks from the front line and shared her insights, honesty, and wisdom on the immigration system in the United States. Well, Susan, you, in my in the heart, I always thank you for all you do for immigrants and uh, obviously also for, for me. So we know each other for 13 years from 2010. And when you helped me with my immigration process, um, I, my family forever in debt to you. Uh, but it was this, an honor, Chang. It's honor <laughs> totally ours. You know, you, you did the, even that. We worked together just for a, few, for a few months. I learned so much from you, your professionalism, your diligence, and most importantly, your compassion toward immigration law. So you really feel the immigrants' uh, cheer and happiness and pain and suffering, which I think is very, very important uh, 
the one of the best thing that a lawyer can offer to the clients is to listen to their uh, pain and suffering. Anyway, I do have a list of questions I want to ask you. Even we we know each other for many many years, but uh, my first question to you is: Do you know how your ancestors arrived in America? Yes. Yeah, so you know, I I actually researched it. And uh, we have a family genealogy that's uh, quite interesting. I can I I can recount from my mother's side of the family much better than my father's side. But on my mother's side of the family, my great great grandfather immigrated through Castle Garden in New York, which was the predecessor to Ellis Island in New York,、oh. where they processed immigration from about. 1855 to 1890, it was the only processing、mm-hmm. center for immigrants in the United States, and it was in New York, down in in the bottom of New York near the harbor,、mm-hmm. not that far from where Ellis Island sprung up.、Uh, and my my great great grandfather、uh, and his family had come from Lithuania,、mm. and、uh, they came from a little town there. Uh, that was predominantly Jewish, and、mm-hmm. because I'm Jewish, my ancestors were were Jewish. And、uh, right before my great grandfather, great great grandfather came over,、um, the year before that,、uh, this this area was part of Lithuania. Then it changed、uh, sovereignty many times over the course of the years. But at that time,、uh, it was governed by the former Russian state and.、Uh, They had enacted these very, very prejudicial anti-Semitic laws at the time, the year before they came, called the May Laws, which basically stripped the the Jewish people in that community of their right to carry out most types of professions, to go to school, etc. They were squeezing them, they're trying to get them out of the country, and it worked. And、uh, so there was a huge, huge mass emigration after that. And my great great grandfather came in the initial, very initial immigration from from that, and uh, and uh, landed in New York and made a life for himself there. And one thing led to another, and here I am. Right. Thank、yeah. you so much for for, for sharing that. And、yeah. your ancestors obviously made the best, you know, choice. But one one quick comment: I never understand the anti-Semitism. You know, I I research,、uh, I I studied history, and I, you know, from history to today, there's a almost always a anti-Semitism somewhere in the world. Yes,、uh, unfortunately, but、That's、I just can't understand it. I just、uh, is there any reason behind?、It? I couldn't find any reason really behind、yeah. that. Well. I think we could spend hours discussing that I subject know, by、know. itself. So I think that we should put that on for the next time we come. I come back. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. I、yeah. very much look forward to it. Very compli- just, complicated topic. Yeah, I know. It's、uh, but I have so many Jewish friends. My graduate mentor is Jewish, and you're Jewish, and、uh, I, I just、uh, just never. I never. I honestly never met. Some Jewish people really gave me trouble, <laughs> and I just anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, well, there are a lot of a lot of myths that are circulated、mm-hmm. um, in in the world, 
that foment uh, ideas that are not true, that uh, divide people from each other. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, just uh, borrowing the dictator's playbook, if you just keep lying for a thousand times, and people accept it. And it's, yes. So that, that's just uh, uh, the human nature. Let, mm -hmm. let, let's move on to the next question. And uh, uh, you were born in Boston? Were you born I was in Boston? born in New Jersey, right outside of New York City. So most yes. of my family stayed in that area after mm -hmm. my great grandparents emigrated there. And I was born there and mm -hmm. went to law school in, outside of Boston. I went in, in, to undergraduate school outside of Boston and went back to New York for, for my law degree. Mm -hmm. And then came back to Boston and settled here right after yeah. I graduated from law school. Yeah. Well, that's well. Obviously, Boston is a uh, is your city right now. And could you tell us about your? You know, I know some lawyers and judges. Very few of them choose immigration law as their ultimate career path. And, uh, you know, if you practice business law, corporate law, sometimes you have to uh, work with the immigration uh, law as a system. We, but for them, and for even in law school, there are, we, we, when we, we always have this thing that there are two legal, uh, two areas of laws are very difficult to practice because they are extremely complex, inconsistent, and keep changing. That's tax law and immigration law. Yes. So, so from your early, we did you already determined you're going to become a, the best immigration attorney in the United States <laughs> when you went to law school? Absolutely and, not. I had no idea that I would end up practicing immigration law, as a matter of fact. It was very far from my mind when I went to law school. Yeah, mm. I had some exposure to immigration law before law school, having worked as a paralegal for a couple of different immigration lawyers. And I only got those jobs by chance because the first lawyer advertising was looking for someone who was fluent in Spanish because she had a, a clientele from Central America and South America needed someone to help in the office who could translate and interpret for her. Mm. And I was fluent in Spanish. So I applied for that job. And it was totally by chance I got exposed to immigration law there. And I saw the plight of um, some of the applicants for political asylum um, in that um, in that setting, uh, who uh, were in a lot of difficulty because they they were sometimes detained even then back in the early '80s by the immigration system, did not have the capacity to pay bond to um, be released from detention pending their asylum yeah. hearing. Yeah. So when I was very young, even before I went to law school, I was so concerned about the inequities in the system that I actually did some community activism at the time to raise a bail fund to help the people in detention. So that was really important to me when I was very young. I was 22, 23 years old at that time. That's how I got exposed to some of the issues in immigration law. But then I went to law school not thinking that I would be an immigration lawyer, Chuck. I, I uh, thought I would be a, a, a litigator. Mm -hmm. I was raring to get into court and fight for people's rights. 
Um, but I joined my law firm Mintz in 1985, uh, and I started doing some of the corporate work and the litigation work. Um, but I also had a chance to work on an immigration case that randomly came into our office, mm-hmm. and it happened to be for a, a an incredible artist. I might have told you the story before. I don't yes. remember. Yes. Uh, and he was a potter. And I got to um, to make a case to the government for him that um, he should be accorded a green card status, which is what he really wanted to stay with his family in the States and not go back. He was on an exchange visitor visa, J-1 visa, mm-hmm. didn't want to go home to Japan. He wanted to make a life for him and his family in the States. And so I, I was able to research a pathway. Um, which was really fun and intellectually stimulating and challenging to try to find a way for for this gentleman to stay. I knew nothing about immigration law, really. I had not done anything like that before in my life. But uh, the 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 maze uh, of the system, uh, I found it um, actually very um, very intellectually um, stimulating to try to find my way through the maze of those laws that you're talking about, how complicated they are. And they're even more complicated today than they were then. Um, but it worked and it was very gratifying. And uh, I realized that in comparison, mm-hmm. the feeling of satisfaction I had uh, that I had in uh, winning that status for him and his family, celebrating with him and his family afterwards, um, and seeing the joy and you know and the the incredible gratification on their part and also in my and feeling it in myself that I really made a difference in someone's life really really spurred me to want to try to focus on immigration after that. Bravo, bravo. And the, that's just that case. Wow. And it's my very first case, and I've oh. always kept it bound ever since then as a reminder for how I became passionate about helping people through the immigration process and that that was what I wanted to devote my career to doing. Very well said. Thank you so much, Susan. It's a, it's a lovely story and uh, I'm very glad you were able to help the gentleman and the family. You change the family's life forever. Yes. You know, so when I practice immigration law, when I was able to to uh, obtain favorable adjudication from the immigration authority, and yeah. I can feel the happiness and hope of the family, and, and so that is a, probably the the best reward as an attorney we can get from our the practice. Yeah, I can't think of any more satisfying. Um, type of legal practice personally than than helping people find their place where they really want to be and uh, and be able to launch their lives anew mm-hmm. you know with that with that safety and confidence um, it's meaningful work absolutely and and I want to thank you again for so obtaining the TRO against the travel ban. And I, yeah, I was teaching constitutional law that semester. And when the travel ban was issued, and we were obviously, the students and I and my colleagues were totally appalled 
Yeah. And on one hand, you know, when you try to get somebody come to the United States, legally stay here, and uh, that is one side of story. The other side of the story is, if the people already here legally and try and uh, for some reason, administrative reason, and they were being kicked out, and uh, you were able to help them with ACLU and your team to. Uh, ban the implementation of the travel ban and helped so many families. They are already here. So this this ban was not only uh, affected one family, they're affecting, you know, thousands of thousands of families already in the United States. Yes, Yes, tens of thousands of people. Absolutely. Yes. And, uh, you know, that's the thing about... uh, using the courts that is so important that at least in the United States, we have the ability to challenge the government um, and, and make sure that, that the actions undertaken by the administration mm-hmm. comply and comport with the, the constitution and the enacted laws, in the United States, it's, it's often a pitched battle, but at least we have, the ability to do that here in some countries, it's much more difficult. Obviously, yes, I totally yes. agree. Yeah. Then we have, I think the next question will make perfect sense to ask. And this question is from the think tank Hawaii uh, CEO, Jay, Jay Fidel, our good friend Jay. Jay said, yes. I, uh, please ask your guest, what does your experience with U.S. immigration law, either positive or negative, Teach us about our system, the nation, and the nation of a nation of immigrants. I so, saw that question yeah. from Jay, and I smiled, and I'm yeah. smiling again now, just because it's like tapping a vein. It's such a rich subject area, and we could also go on for a very long time about the challenges and positive, both the, the negatives and positives of our immigration system, based on my experience of the past forty. 45 years, 40 to 45 mm-hmm. years. I have a lot of opinions on that topic, as you might imagine. <laughs> um, well, it, that's right. And first, I recommend everybody read your books, and you share yeah. a lot of insights in your book. And we co-authored a BBC opinion piece of ad and talked about the immigration, and you did uh, share some of your uh, insights and comments as well. And yeah, but, uh, I mean, I, just, mm-hmm. I would just say, you know, there's 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 some positive aspects to our system, but there are a lot of uh, a lot of aspects to our immigration system that need to be improved. Mm-hmm. Our laws need to be um, redesigned. They're out of uh, sync with the current economic and civil um, aspects of society in the United States and and the world. Our systems are not transparent. We don't allocate enough resources to the to the hiring um, of enough officers to be able to process cases fast enough. Mm. Um, it's very slow, especially since COVID, very long backlogs. We have a lot of um, issues in the implementation. At, at the same time, the United States is a wonderful country. And, and in comparison with many other countries, our system you know, compares favorably to many other countries' immigration systems, but it, there's a lot of room for improvement. And yes. uh, another day I could 
could go on and list many more areas of, of uh, improvement that I think we should focus on, but I'll leave it at that for now. Well, that's it's a terrific summary already, and I really appreciate that. But I do have one particular question I do want to ask you. And uh, as an immigration attorney, practicing immigration law for you know, 40, 45 years, and uh, even I have practiced immigration law for over 10 years, I feel like, you know, there are many, many, uh, you know, things I can comment on, but there are two particular issues I want to hear your comments. One is, do you feel it's really challenging when you advocate for your client who is outside the United States and it's virtually impossible because they are not protected under our constitution? They do not enjoy due process or equal protection because they are physically outside the United States. I, I found it, it just, it's just a, so frustrating to try to you know, help somebody outside the United States. And uh, yes. you, that, that's one particular challenge. I feel it. And I agree with you. You're, 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 thank you. And I, I know you'll feel my pain as well. Yeah. And once the people is inside the United States, you know, our constitution confers so much, you know, uh, protection and we can argue under our legal framework. But if the individual is outside of the territory, it's just a so, you know, like Sisyphus challenge, yeah. impossible to, to tackle. It's much, much more challenging to help people who are outside of the country for that reason. Mm -hmm. And logistically too as well because you know you it's very difficult to communicate effectively with the people who have control over the fate of that person yep. uh, and uh, getting to the right person at the embassy uh, and getting them to respond when they are also terribly understaffed Chung yeah and and the true. the ranks have been greatly diminished in the State Department for example there was a very serious exodus of people during the Trump era, era, and it's very slow to rehire and get people trained, pass background checks, and into back into those embassies and consulate. Mm -hmm. So you know there are not enough people. They have a tremendous volume to deal with, and it's hard to get their attention. Yeah. 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 I, I totally agree. Thank you so much for for yeah. your you know illustration. Well, the, then lead to my last heavy question, and the second, uh, and then we move on lighter questions. Okay. Yeah, my second challenge, and uh, also, you know, coming from you, when, when I listen to your uh, comments about immigration law practice, is one particular issue I run into is sometimes the case adjudicator and um, consular officers, they were giving under the current legal system, they were giving tremendous discretion. Yes. And, uh, and I think this discretion is so flexible. Uh, Sometimes you are basically have to deal with individual officer instead of the law. Yes. And I have this feeling. I'm, I, I just want to hear your quick comments on that as well. Oh, my goodness, Chang. I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. I was, like, was thinking about that that issue quite a bit earlier today in thinking about the uh, tremendous amount of discretion that the officers uh, get to exercise, for example, in the 
even in the visitor tourist visa application process, right? True, so Where true. Our, our immigration law presumes immigrant intent in the law for most applicants. Mm-hmm. And so it's up to each person anywhere in the world applying for a visitor visa to the U.S. to prove that they do not have it. So they have to disprove. So they have to prove the negative. Yes. And it's very, very, very difficult to disprove immigrant intent. And, you know, like in the last years that we have data uh, back to, I think, 2018, uh, the last data I saw was there were something like 5 million tourist visa denials in that year alone. Wow. Um, and that's all over the world because the officers don't have much time and they err on the side of denying, especially after 9-11, they err mm-hmm. on the side of denying. So, the, you know, the discretion gets exercised very randomly by different officers, but oftentimes it's, uh, you know, it's decided before the person even like opens their mouth to speak at the window in the embassy, unfortunately. Decided against them. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you for telling me that. I, I knew it was a large number, but five million, that's really stunning. Yes. The, we should move on to a lighter questions. Okay. Uh, you know, it's a, a, there are plenty of heavy questions already today. And mm-hmm. uh, so my question, First question is how many tra- you as you have worked as the immigrants all over the world, but yes. personally, how many country you have traveled and which country is your favorite? You don't need to say China. Just uh-huh. I, I loved my trip to China. I yeah. I just uh, reviewed my list. I think I've been to forty two countries so far. Wow. Yeah, and uh, many more that I would like to visit. Um, and uh, you know, I I. I've enjoyed so many of them on trips to Asia, mm-hmm. um, Africa, Australia, New Zealand. I, I'm very fond of mountainous places, mm-hmm. Patagonia in Chile. Um, you know, I, I saw the pandas in, in yes. China, Canggu, yes. the mountains there with the mist uh, across the mountains in the early morning and late in the days. Magically beautiful. So many places in the world are beautiful, and I I uh, enjoy the culture of so many countries. But I also really, really particularly love to be in nature all over the world and to see the magnificent planet that we have. Yeah. Beautifully said. We I was very happy to to see you in China in 2018, and I very much look forward to welcome back to China. Thank in, you. Near future, uh, it was a wonderful experience. I'm very glad you enjoyed it. We are almost running out of time, but normally we end our our show with two generic questions yes. to our guest. One is if you were to give some advice to a younger you, time travel permit permits you can travel back forty years. And what advice would you give to yourself? And the second question is: Is there any particular book? or movie you are enjoying at the moment you want to recommend to our audience? Okay. Well, it might not surprise you because you know me, you know me quite well, Chung, that maybe I would have said to my younger self that maybe I didn't need to work uh, 80 hours a week. I could have maybe settled for maybe 70 or 75. (laughs) (laughs) I was then worked very long hours in my career and 
um, very committed to my clients and my work, as you know. So maybe I could have told myself to lighten up just a little bit on my work schedule, but you know, it's okay. Um, there's a really great book that I've um, been rereading that I highly recommend to anyone, especially anyone interested in international law, mm. um, which is called East West Street. Don't know if you've heard of this book, oh, but it's by a, a, a very prominent uh, British, I believe, international lawyer named Philip Sands. And he chronicles the lives of two people who happened to have been born almost in exactly the same place, but didn't really know each other, but lived parallel oh, lives. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, Hirsch Lauterpacht and uh, Raphael Lemkin. They were both the Jewish individuals who came from what is now Poland. Uh, actually, now it's actually part of Ukraine, but was then Poland before that the Austria-Hungarian Empire. Their families were persecuted independently. They didn't know each other. They became very prominent lawyers and legal thinkers. And Hirsch Lauterpacht actually came up with the idea and invented the concept of crimes against humanity. Yes. Yes. And and Raphael Lemkin actually came up with the concept of genocide. He actually coined the term mm -hmm. genocide based on what he had observed and learned about growing up in Europe during pre-World War II and World War II. And, you know, it's a fascinating account of how these two men operating independently yet remarkably from the very same small town, mm -hmm. um, one in England and one in the U.S. separately helped to actually um, frame these incredibly important concepts in international law that were adopted, used in the Nuremberg trials, and then adopted by the United Nations and have set the basis for all, all of these issues going forward, which are so important as we've seen through all the United, all the world, to bring governments to account and and dictators to account for crimes against people and groups. So mm -hmm. it's a fascinating book. Highly recommend it. East West Street. Thank you, thank you, Susan. This fantastic recommendation. I heard of the book, and I'm definitely going to order the book right away after our show. Well, okay. we are running out of time, but I have so many questions I want to ask mm -hmm. you, and I definitely want to invite you back to the show. And because this is a nation of immigrants, and uh, yes. you would be the perfect uh, guest, and uh, you will be our perfect host if you are <laughs> interested to host this show. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you again, Susan. It was a great pleasure, and I, I wish you uh a wonderful spring and I look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you. Thank you. You too. And thanks to all of you. Good to see everyone. Thank Good you. to see you again. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.
and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.